Hi, my name is Yvette. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 49, 13 through 16. Sing heavens, rejoice earth, break out mountains with a song. The Lord has comforted his people and taken pity on those who suffer. But Zion says, the Lord has abandoned me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, fail to pity the child of her womb? Even these may forget, but I won't forget you. Look, on my palms I've inscribed you. Your walls are before me continually. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Becca Giles, and the New Testament reading is found in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Janelle. Please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew 26, 40 through 46. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. You may be seated. All right, all the children in the house, put your hands in the air. Come on now. All right, we got big kids putting their hands in the air. All right, children of all ages, hands in the air. Come on now. Woo woo. <laughs> hey, let me tell you why we do Family Sunday. We do Family Sunday because we believe that there should be a few times in the year where all of us, all the generations, come together and worship God. Is it going to be louder? Yes. Is it going to be more chaotic? Yes. Is it going to be disruptive? Yes, but enough about my kids. (laughs) And and if you've you've been at New Life Downtown long enough, you'll remember the time when Sophia, bless her, interrupted me in the middle of the sermon because we couldn't find the pacifier for Jane, you know, (laughs) which I've given them permission for crises such as those. (laughs) But it's okay. This This is part of it. And yes, it's a chance for our children's ministry teachers. So children's ministry team, put your hands in the air. Church, let's give them a big hand of appreciation. These guys serve every week. So we love having our children's team in the, the room with us, but we also love having all the kids in here. And we're going to do some fun things, kids. So, so hang with us. We'll have some readings. We'll have a little story time down front in just a moment. You're probably wondering how this is going to work, though, because we're in this series called Lament. <laughs> and... And, and other, well, you know, it's, it's interesting because you could see it two ways. You could see kids as being the epitome of joy, but you also see kids as being the epitome of honesty. That when they don't have what they need, it's like they cry, like the world is going to end, you know. No! 
I'm just have what's wrong? I can't get my shoe off. Okay, you know, buddy, I'll help you with that. Just ask, you know. But this gets good because children are a reminder to us that at the very core of who we are as human beings is peop- we are people who want to express what we feel. So in week one, we talked about suffering and we talked about what it might mean to, um, to, to suffer and to give voice to that pain. And then in week two, we talked about grief and loss. And we said how sadness is a normal human response to loss. And that there are all kinds of losses. There are small, chronic losses that, we, that results in kind of a dull sadness. And then there's sharp, acute, stinging losses that result in devastating sadness. And then we talked about anguish and anxiety last week. And we said, what is it like for Jesus, the only truly, fully human one, to actually say, I feel anguished. And I feel in anxiety. Can we imagine Jesus actually feeling that? But see, all along the way, what we've been saying is, listen, lament is never an end in itself. Lament always involves movement. Movement toward trust. Movement towards hope. Movement towards God himself. But here's the trick. Is that movement in a straight line? No. Most of the time, that movement is all over the place. It's zigzags, it, it's, it's circular, it's, it's just it's repetitive. We're, we go through seasons where we're like, yes, God, thank you, everything is wonderful. And then we go through other seasons where we're like, why, God, how long? Part of the goal, I will say this, there's three goals for each sermon in this lament series. Goal number one is that we learn to give voice to our pain. So these sounds that you hear in the room of children talking and, and crying, that's good. That's, a, that's like a spiritual reminder to all of us adults that our Father wants us to give voice to our pain. That actually petition and protest are proof of the relationship. That a child who stops asking his parents or her parents for things is a child that no longer believes the parent cares. So that's goal number one, give voice. But goal number two is to say, recognize that Jesus is with us in the midst of the pain. That to say that God is Emmanuel, to say that in this Lent season, we are journeying with Jesus to the cross, we actually realize that Jesus is God journeying with us. That Jesus is God who took on flesh to walk with us in our pain. But then thirdly, the third goal each week has been to say, not only do we give give voice to our pain, and not only does Jesus journey with us in the midst of our pain, but that we can believe that because Jesus is with us, this pain is not the end. You believe that this morning? Maybe it takes a supreme act of faith to say, okay, with every little frail, little mustard seed kind of faith, I believe this is not the end. But see, that's what this whole season's about. We go through Lent in this kind of fasting, lowering ourselves. And by the way, I should probably publicly confess that I've fallen behind in my Psalm reading and Gospel of John reading, but please carry on. Uh, um, Well, I'm going to try to catch up. But we do this thing of lowering ourselves and fasting. We do this as a way of turning away from some things in order to turn toward Jesus. But why? Is Lent an end in itself? Does the season just end 
with death? No. Lent will give way to Easter. In fact, this fast season is six weeks long. Anybody know how long is the season of Easter? Seven weeks! Because the feast always outlasts the fast. The joy will swallow up the pain. Life will overcome death. So yes, we give voice to our pain. Yes, we recognize Jesus in the midst of it with us. But also we move toward this belief, this trust that this pain will not be the end. Today the word that I want us to briefly reflect on, and we'll try to keep it more brief than normal this morning, is the word loneliness. Now loneliness maybe can result from all kinds of situations. Maybe there's a loneliness that just happens from moving to a new place or going through a life transition, switching jobs, uh, different neighborhoods, whatever that might be, schools. Loneliness because you're new. But I'm talking about a different kind of loneliness, maybe a, a more quiet, nagging sort of loneliness. It's the feeling of being out of joint with the people around you. Maybe the word that we might say is dislocation, where you feel like you're out of joint, where you feel like you don't know where you fit. And maybe you've sort of told yourself, you know, that's fine, I I don't need to fit, I just need to sort of hide this. Don't let them in, don't let them see. Just be the good girl you've always have to be. Conceal, don't feel. Don't let them know. <laughs> let it go. Oh, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> uh, see, you just can't fight it. There can be this feeling of wondering where you fit and where you belong. And the temptation is to run away and build an ice castle somewhere, you know. <laughs> it's profound, really. <laughs> Some, there are a few of you with very confused looks on your faces right now. It's okay. It's all right. Eventually, someone will get to you. <laughs> and you, too, will be frozen. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> I remember when we moved, when our family moved from Malaysia to the U.S., I was 10 years old, and that was the first kind of experience with the feeling of saying, okay, where do I fit? Where do I belong? I'm, do, do I belong here? Uh, do I not? And trying to uh, overcome differences. And then after living in the U.S. for three years and really kind of giving in and, and, and adapting, then moving back to Malaysia and then feeling like, okay, so am I a Malaysian or am I an a, American kid or where do I fit and where do I belong? And, you know, friends, they all have these sort of different ways of testing that. You know, do you still like this kind of food? How do you talk? And, and the sense of feeling like you're in between two worlds. And then when I moved back to the States to go to college, it was a question of, okay, so who who am I hanging out with? And I spent my first semester hanging out with international students. And I thought that was cool. And then I started, I joined the music ministry team and I was surrounded by musicians, but I was a theology major. And I don't know if you know kind of the rock and roll world, but usually the theology guys and the rock guys don't hang out together. So I've always sort of, and then after moving to New Life, you know, it was part of a, 
a band, essentially a Christian rock band called the Desperation Band, and we'd travel and do these arena events and things like that, and everybody would be goofing off and, and having fun, and I would have some sort of book my nose was buried in, you know, between breaks, and it was just kind of a, I'm, I have repeatedly felt this feeling of being in between two worlds. Actually, I think this is a feeling that is common to the people of God. And in the Old Testament, you have Israel expressing this sense of dislocation in the world. This sense of saying, where do we fit? We are the chosen people of God, but nobody else recognizes that. What's wrong with Egypt and Assyria and Babylon? Why don't they see? And they sort of have this special faith, this covenant that Yahweh has made with them. And they feel like, yes, God, you've given us this promise and this heritage and all of these hopes, and yet, how come nobody else acts like they know this? Why are they bullying us? Why are they pressing us? Maybe for some of you kids in the room, you, you, you know what it's like to have your parents say, I love you, you're special, you're amazing, and then you go to school and your friends don't act like they think so. <laughs> and you're like, don't you know? My mom says I'm awesome! <laughs> and there's, there can be this feeling of, I don't know where I fit. Israel would frequently cry out to God saying, God, remember, we have this sort of heavenly promise, and yet we have this earthly reality of feeling like we've been abandoned and forgotten. I want to invite my readers to come up this morning. We're going to listen to a psalm being read, and instead of having the words on the screen, I really just want you to, if it helps you to close your eyes, you can close your eyes, but I've asked them to kind of read this um, with, with a little bit of, of, of feeling and, and uh, potential, you know, drama, if you will. Um, but it's Psalm 102, and I want you just to kind of let the words of the psalm, imagine a little bit, let your redeemed imagination uh, take you in this place and seeing what must it have been like for the people of God to pray these kinds of words, this feeling of isolation, this feeling of being alone and caught between two worlds. Let's listen to this together. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants 
Hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh, my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old, you, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Amen. Thank you. One of the most haunting lines, I think, in the psalm is the line that says, I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. Picture that image. I lie awake like a lonely sparrow on a housetop. I wonder if that might have been how Jesus felt lying awake in the garden while his closest friends slept in the hour of his need, in the hour of his anguish, in the hour of his pain and heaviness that he carried, a time when he needed to feel like he had companions, the time when he needed to feel like he was not alone. And yet in that moment, here is Jesus feeling profoundly alone, let down, disappointed. Children, if you're in, in the room this morning, and I know that you are, would you make your way forward and come and sit along the front here, the carpet, and then over here on this side? Hey, Dex. Okay, you want to face me and the screen a little bit because there will be some pictures on the screen. Okay, that's perfect. Come on down. There we go. Do you see the picture on the screen? Who do you think those three guys snoozing are? What do you think? The three of the three of the disciples, yeah. Do they look like they're awake or sleeping? Sleeping? Are their eyes closed? Yeah. Are they drooling at all out of their mouth? No, but they're but they are definitely asleep, aren't they? Okay, you want to sit down, bud? 
All right. This is out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. All right, children? Some of you might have this. You do. We do too. It's a great little book. You ready? The wind was picking up now, blowing clouds across the moon, shrouding the garden in darkness. Stay with me, Jesus asked his friends. They said yes, and they waited under the olive trees, but they were tired and they soon fell asleep. We go to the next picture here. There's Jesus praying. Jesus walked ahead alone in the dark. He needed to talk to his heavenly Father. He knew that it was time for him to die. They had planned it long ago, he and his father. Jesus was going to take the punishment for all the wrong things anybody had ever done or ever would do. Papa, Father, Jesus cried, and he fell to the ground. Do you see him on the ground there, children? See him kind of on all fours like that? Do you ever, when you're crying and really upset, do you ever get on all fours and start crying? Start pounding the floor, maybe? No, you don't do that, do you? You do, okay. All right, but my, okay, sometimes I feel like doing that. And then he says, is there another, any other way to get your children back, to heal their hearts, to get rid of the poison? But Jesus knew there was no other way. All the poison of sin was going to have to go into his own heart. God was going to pour into Jesus' heart all the sadness and brokenness in people's hearts. He was going to pour into Jesus' body all the sickness in people's bodies. God was going to have to blame His Son for everything that had gone wrong, and it would crush Jesus. See, He wasn't just feeling His own sadness. He was feeling the whole weight. He was feeling yours and mine and everyone's. Violent sobs shook Jesus' whole body, and then Jesus was quiet like a lamb. I trust you, Papa, He said. Whatever you say, I will do. Okay. You think you can sit here for a little bit longer? You sure? Okay. All right. (laughs) We'll try that. (laughs) One of the things we've said each week is that Jesus is weeping with us. And we've used this word with quite a bit, that it is Jesus with us, suffering with us. But last week, you'll, you'll remember that we added in a slightly different angle to this, and we used the word as. We said this is Jesus praying as us, Jesus trusting as us, as Israel should have but could not have. This was God doing this as us. Today, I think it's worth adding one more word, not just with, not just as, but for. Children, can you say the word for? For. Oh, come on, let's say it again. For. Like the number, but not. For. Jesus is suffering with us, as us, and for us. And that's... The most profound thing about this journey with Jesus to the cross. We've seen along the way that Jesus wept when he saw what Mary saw. And so he joins us in our sorrow. 
We saw last week that this anguish and this anxiety is because he's carrying a weight that's more than just his own weight, but carrying the weight of all of us. That he's standing in as us. Now today we're beginning to get the hint that the cross is one more thing. The cross is Jesus doing this for us. That the loneliness and dislocation that Jesus carries in himself in the garden and ultimately at the cross is not just a human loneliness and dislocation, but the separation of all of the world from God. That eventually it would culminate on the cross where Jesus says, okay, God himself has turned his face away. And we'll get to that fearful and terrible phrase that Jesus utters out of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This profound feeling of loneliness and dislocation that Jesus carried was the dislocation of a whole world out of joint. A whole world that is out of sync. But I want to say a few things. Jesus suffered the ultimate loneliness so that we never truly have to be alone. Because Jesus suffered the ultimate loneliness, you and I can know that we are never truly alone. That even when friends say mean things about you, and even when you feel like you don't have anyone to play with or be with, or no one that understands you, that even in those moments, Because of Jesus in the garden, because of Jesus at the cross, there is this little witness that says, you are never truly alone. Because Jesus took on the ultimate loneliness. In the Psalms, there are a set of images that you hear a lot. One of the images is a pit. Anybody ever been in a pit? Have you ever gone hiking and fallen into a pit? Yes? (laughs) Yeah, have you? It's one of the reasons why we try to avoid hiking in our house. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Hollywood disagree. One of the images in the Psalms is of a pit. Now, a pit stands for isolation, immobility. When you're stuck in a pit, you can't get out. And a lot of times nobody can hear you. And if you think of the kind of pit the psalmist was describing, it was likely an abandoned well, a well that had dried up. And if you were thrown in it, it's because people didn't want to see you anymore. They wanted you to be cut off. And so very often you hear the psalmist saying, I am in the pit, as in I've been cut off, isolation, immobility. I can't get out of here. I've been cut off and I'm stuck. I can't fix this. I'm in a pit. But the psalmist parallels this image of the pit with a different image and the images of a wing. What's the biggest bird you've ever seen? An eagle? Okay. A petrodactyl? Anybody? No? It's huge. Dinosaur bird. Dinosaur bird, you know that. I don't know if the psalmist had that bird in mind, but he has in mind a large wing. And he says, listen, Yahweh has taken us from the pit to the shadow of his wing." What does the wing speak of? The wing speaks of safety. The wing speaks of security. 
The wing speaks of new possibilities where the pit is a place of being stuck and cut off. The wing says we can fly, we'll soar, we'll find new places. You see, Jesus went down to the pit so that we can dwell under the wing of the Almighty. Jesus went down to the pit so that we can dwell under the wing of the Almighty God. One last image. Bread. You may have caught this in the psalm reading when Mary was reading the first part of Psalm 102. The psalmist said, I eat ashes for bread. Who has a wood-burning fireplace in their home? Anybody? Yeah? Could you imagine taking the, a scoop of the ashes and putting some butter on it? It's breakfast. No. He says, I eat ashes for bread. This is the epitome of being low. Of saying that there's nothing left for me. My very food, my very sustenance is ashes. What happens in the Gospels? When a crowd sits down and the disciples say to Jesus, the people are hungry. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. The disciples say, Lord, we got nothing. And Jesus says, you have no idea who I am. I am the bread of life. What in the Psalms is the image of ashes for bread in the Gospels becomes never-ending bread. In the Psalms, the image is bread that is, is it's ashes. That's my diet. I'm eating this. It's, 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 it's awful. It's, it's destitute. I'm destitute. And the Gospels becomes, in Jesus' hands, unending bread. The image of this is powerful as well. That we can say that Jesus Himself in the garden at the cross ate the bread of ashes so that we could feast on the bread of life. See, when we say Jesus suffers with us, we're comforted and we say, thank you, God. When we say Jesus did this as us, we're surprised and we think, oh my goodness, the truly human one is living out the life we could never have lived on our own. But then when we say Jesus did this for us, we begin to see that something else is being offered you. That the bread of ashes will not be your last meal. The bread of life will be your eternal feast. Because of Jesus, the pit will not be your last stop. But the wing, the wings of the Almighty is what will carry you. I want us to pray again this morning. If we could all stand and children, you stand with us. I want us to all pray again this prayer that we prayed earlier this morning the prayer for this week. It's a prayer that speaks of Jesus as the bread of life. The true bread. And maybe as the band comes, some of you might be here and you feel this profound sense of, of loneliness, of dislocation, of being cut off. You feel like the pit is a good description for your life right now. Cut off from everybody. Nobody's in there with you. And what you need to see and hear and know this morning is that Jesus 
went down in the pit so that you could dwell under the wings. And maybe for others of you, you feel like the loneliness is so dark and so oppressive that it, it might as well be that you're eating ashes for bread. And to know that Jesus took this on for us, for us. Everybody say, Jesus with us, Jesus as us, Jesus for us. Jesus took on the bread, ate the bread of ashes that we might feast on the bread of life. Let's pray this prayer one more time together. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world. Evermore give us this bread that He may live in us and we in Him who lives and reigns with You and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Children, you can go back to your families, your parents. The rest of you can stay standing And let's just quietly begin to reflect where you are and say, God, help me to catch a fresh glimpse of Jesus this morning. The Jesus who suffered the most intense loneliness, the Jesus who experienced the most intense feeling of dislocation, lack of belonging and place. The Jesus who did this for me. Jesus who did this so that the pit would not be our home. The psalmist says we will dwell under the shadow of the Almighty's wing. Church, that's good news, right? There may be a pit stop, but your dwelling place is under the wing of the Almighty. Amen? There may be moments where ashes are your bread, but your eternal feast is the bread of life Himself. Amen? Thank you, Lord. You quietly where you are, just say, God, forgive me for maybe believing the lie that I am alone. Forgive me for believing the lie that the pit is the end. Forgive me for trying to claw out on my own. Jesus, teach me to see you again. Teach me to see your grace again. Teach me to see that I'm not stuck, that this is not the end. Teach me to see that as I give voice to the loneliness inside, what I'll find is the Savior who went down to the pit. The Savior who took on this bread, who became my bread. Thank you. Thank you. Quietly where you are, just begin to pray that.